This is Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB FM in Santa Barbara. I'm Hannah Wolf. Today I'll be reading The Stellar Legion by Lee Brackett. In the background currently, I'm playing Coral Hatch by Offworld. I'll tell you a little bit about Lee Brackett. Uh, she was born in 1915 and was raised in Los Angeles. She was discovered by John Campbell in 1940 and wrote in many genres, including fantasy, science fiction, western, and detective. She was viewed in the late 40s and 50s as the queen of space opera. And she also wrote Hollywood screenplays, for example, The Big Sleep, which starred Bogart and Bacall, John Wayne's Rio Bravo, as well as The Long Goodbye and, which you will probably know, The Empire Strikes Back. She died before The Empire Strikes Back was released and was posthumously awarded the Hugo for the screenplay. The story we will be listening to today was published during her first year of writing in 1940. be reading The Stellar Legion by Lee Brackett, which was first published in Planet Stories, Winter 1940. Silence was on the barracks, like a lid clamped over tight coiled springs. Men in rumpled uniforms, outlanders of the Stellar Legion, space rats, the scrapings of the solar system, Sweat in the sullen heat of the Venusian swamplands before the rains. Sweated and listened. The metal door clanged open to admit Lay, the young Venusian commandant, and every man jerked tautly to his feet. Ian McKeon, the white-haired, space-burned Earthman, alone and hungrily poised for action. Thecla, the swart Martian, low canaller, grinning like a weasel beside, back, the hulking strangler from Titan. Every quick, nervous glance was riveted on lay. The young officer stood silent in the open door, tugging at his fair mustache. To McKeon, watching, he was a trim, clean incongruity in this brutal wilderness of savagery and iron men. Beside him, the eternal mists writhed in the thin curtain over the swamp, stretching for miles beyond the soggy earthworks. Through it came the sound every ear had listened to for days. A low, monotonous piping that seemed to ring from the ends of the earth. The Nahali, the six-foot, scarlet-eyed swamp dwellers, whose touch was weaponed enough, praying to their gods for rain. When it came, the hot, torrential downpour of southern Venus, 
the Nahali would burst into a scaly tide over the fort. Only a moat of charged water and four electrocannons stood between the Legion and the Horde. If those things failed, it meant two hundred lives burned. Out. The circle of protective forts broken, the fertile uplands plundered and laid waste. McKeon looked at Lee's clean, university-bred young face and wondered cynically if he was strong enough for the job. Lay spoke so abruptly that the men started. I'm calling for volunteers, a reconnaissance in Nahali territory. You know well enough what that means. Three men, well? Ian McKeon stepped forward, followed instantly by the Martian, Thecla. Back, the Titan hesitated, his queerly bright, blank eyes darted from Thecla to Lay and back to McKeon. Then he stepped up, his hairy face twisted in a sly grin. Lay eyed them, his mouth hard with distaste under his fair mustache. Then he nodded and said, Report in an hour. Light equipment. Turning to go, he added almost as an afterthought. Report to my quarters, McGeehan. Immediately. In his quarters lay his pink face flushed, strode up and down while McGeehan waited dourly. It was plain enough what was coming. McGeehan felt the old bitter defensive anger rising in him. Look he told himself inwardly. Books, good cigars, a girl's picture on the table. You had all that once, you damn fool. Why couldn't you? Lay stopped abruptly in front of him, gray eyes steady. I'm new here, McLean, he said. But we've been Legion men for five generations, and I know the law. No man is to be questioned about his past. I'm going to break the law. Why are you here, McGeehan? McGeehan's white head was gaunt and stubborn, as to Talon rock, and he kept silent. I'm trying to help, Lay went on. You've been an officer. Every man in the barracks knows that. If you're here for any reason but failure in duty, you can be an officer again. I'll relieve you of special duty. You can start working for the examinations. No need to waste you in the ranks. Well? McKeon's eyes were hidden, but his voice was harsh. What's behind this, Lay? What the hell is it to you? The Venusian's level gaze wavered. For a moment, the boy looked through the man and McGeehan felt a quick stab in his heart. Then all was gone, and Lay said curtly, If you find the barracks congenial, stay there. By all means, dismissed. McGeehan glared at him half-blindly for a moment, his fine, long hands clenched and unclenched at his sides. 
Then he about-faced with vicious smartness and went out. Nearly an hour later, he stood with the Martian, Thecla, on the earthworks, waiting. The monotonous pipes prayed on in the swamp. McKeon, looking up at the heavy sky, prayed just as hard that it would not rain. Not just yet. Because if it rained before the patrol left, the patrol would not leave. The Nahali would be on the march with the very first drop. And my chance would be gone, he whispered to himself. Thecla's bright black eyes studied him, as they always did, an insolent mocking scrutiny that angered the Scot. Well, he said dryly, the perfect soldier, the gallant volunteer, for the love of Venus, Thecla, or love of the Legion. Perhaps, said Thecla softly, for the same reason you did, Earthman. And perhaps not. His face, the swart, hard face of a low canal outlaw, was turned abruptly towards the mist-wrapped swamp. Love of Venus, he snarled. Who could love this lousy sweatbox? Not even Lay, if he had the brains of a flea. Mars is better, eh? Mickey and had a sudden inspiration. Cool, dry air and little dark women and the wine shops on the Jekrelo Canal. You'd like to be back there, wouldn't you? He knew why Thecla snarled and sprang at him, and it wasn't Thecla he threw down on the soft earth so much as a tall youngster with a fair mustache who he had goaded with good intent. Funny thought, McKeon, that well-intentioned goads hurt m- worse than the other kind. A vast paw closed on his shoulder, hauling him back. Another, he saw, yanked Thecla upright, and Bach, the titan's hairy travesty of a face, peered down at them. Listen, he grunted in his oddly articulated Esperanto. I know what's up. I got ears. And village houses got thin walls. I heard the Nathali girl talking, but I don't know which one of you has the treasure, but I want it. If I don't get it. His fingers slid higher on McKeon's shoulder, gripping his throat. Six fingers like iron clamps. McKeon heard Thecla choking and cursing. He managed to gasp. You've got the wrong place, Buck. We're men. I thought you only strangled women. The grip slackened a trifle. Men, too, said Buck slowly. That's why I had to run away from Titan. That's why I've had to run away from everywhere. Men or women. Anyone who laughs at me. McKeon looked at the blank-eyed, revolting face and wondered that anyone could laugh at it. Pity it. 
shut it harmlessly away, but not laugh at it. Beck's fingers fell away abruptly. They laugh at me, he repeated miserably, and run away. I know I'm ugly, but I want friends and a wife like anyone else, especially a wife. But they laugh at me, the women do, when I ask them. And he was shaking suddenly with rage as his face was a beast's face, blind and brutal. And I kill them. I kill the damned little vixens that laugh at me. He stared stupidly at his great hands. Then I have to run away, always running away, alone. The bright, empty eyes met McKeon's with deadly purpose. That's why I want the money. If I have the money, they'll like me. Women always like men who have money. If I kill one of you, I'll have to run away again. But if I have someone to go with me, I won't mind. Thecla showed his pointed teeth. Try strangling a Nihali girl, Beck. Then we'll be rid of you. Beck grunted. I'm no fool. I know what the Nihali do to you. But I want that money the girl told about. And I'll get it. I'll get it now. Only Lay will come. Stifled because Lay was coming up. His heavy watered boots thudding on the soggy ground. Without a word, the three fell in behind the officer, whose face had taken on an unfamiliar stony grimness. McKeon wondered whether it was anger at him or fear of what they might get in the swamp. The plank bridge groaned under them, almost touching the water in the moat. Most ingenious, that moat. The Nahali could swim in their sleep normally, but when the conductor rods along the bottom were turned on, they literally burned out their circuits from an overload. The swamp rats packed a bigger potential than any earthly electric eel. Ian McKeon looked at the lights of the squalid village that lay below the fort, reflected that the Nahali had at least one definitely human trait, the banging of a three-tiered Venusian piano echoed on the heavy air, along with the shouts and laughter that indicated a free flow of swamp juice. This link in the chain of stations surrounding the swamplands was fully garrisoned only during the rains, and the less warlike Nahali were busy harvesting what they could from the soldiers and the rabble that came after them. Queer creatures, the swamp rats, with their ruddy eyes and iridescent scales. Nature in adapting them to their wet human environment had left them somewhere between warm-blooded mammals and cold-blooded reptiles. Anthropoid in shape, man-sized, capricious, the most remarkable thing about them was their breathing apparatus. Each epithelial cell formed a tiny electrolysis plant to extract oxygen from water. 
Since they lived equally on land and in water, and since the swamp air was almost a mist, it suited them admirably. That was why they had to wait for the rains to go raiding in the fertile uplands, and that was why hundreds of interworld legionnaires had to swelter on the strip of soggy ground between swamp and plateau to stop them. McIan was last in line, just as his foot left the planks, four heads jerked up at once, facing to the dark sky. Big drops splattering slowly down, making a sibilant whisper across the swamp. The pipes broke off, leaving the ears a little deafened with the lack of them after so long. And McGean looked at Lay, swore furiously in his heart. The three men paused, expecting an order to turn back, but Lay waved them on. But it's raining, protested back. We'll get caught in the attack. The officer's strangely hard face was turning towards them. No, he said with an odd finality. They won't attack. Not yet. The swamp folded them in. It is never truly dark on Venus, owing to the thick, diffusing atmosphere. There was enough light to show branching, muddy trails, great still pools choked with weeds, the spreading liha trees with their huge pollen pods, everything dripping with the slow rain. McKeon could hear the thudding of that rain for miles around on the silent air. The sullen forerunner of the deluge Fort and village were lost in sodden twilight. Lay's boots squelched onward through the mud of a trail that rose gradually to a ridge of higher ground. When he reached the top, Lay turned abruptly, his electro gun seeming to materialize in his hand, and McKeon was startled by the bleak look on his pink young face. Stop right there! said Lay quietly. Keep your hands up and don't speak until I'm finished. He waited a second with the rain drumming on his waterproof coverall, dripping from the ends of his fair mustache. The others were obedient. Balk, a great grinning hulk between the two slighter men. Lay went on calmly. Someone has sold us out to the Nahali. That's how I know they won't attack until they get the help they're waiting for. I had to find out, if possible, what preparations they've made for destroying our electrical supply, which is our only vulnerable point. But I have a double purpose in calling this party. Can you guess what it is? McGeehan could. Lee continued. The traitor has his price. Escape from the Legion, from Venus, through the swamp, to Lahiva, where he can ship out on a tramp. His one problem was to get away from the fort without being seen, since all leaves have been temporarily cancelled. Lay's mist-gray eyes were icy. I gave him that chance. 
Back laughed an empty, jarring roar. See, that's what the Nahali girl said. She said, he can get what he needs now. He'll get away before the rains, probably with a patrol. Then our people can attack. I know what he needed, money, and I want it. Shut up, Lay's electrogun gestured preemptorily. I want the truth of this. Which one of you is the traitor? Thecla's pointed white teeth gleamed. McKeon loves the Legion, sir. He couldn't be guilty. McKeon groaned inwardly. Look here, he said. We're in the Holly country. There may be trouble at any moment. Do you think this is the time for detective work? You may have caught the wrong men anyway. Better do your job reconnoitering and worry about the identity of the traitor back in the fort. You're not an officer now, McKeon, snapped Lay. Speak up, and I want the truth. You, Thecla. Thecla's black eyes were bitter. I'd as well be here as anywhere, since I can't be on Mars. How could I go back, with a hanging charge against me? McKeon? Lay's gray gaze was leveled stiffly past his head, and McKeon was quivering suddenly with rage. Rage against the life that had brought him where he was, against Lay, who was the symbol of all he had thrown away. Think what you like, he whispered, and be damned. Beck's movement came so swiftly that it caught everyone unprepared. Handling the Martian like a child's beanbag, he picked him up and hurled him against Lay. The electro gun spat a harmless bolt into empty air as the two fell struggling in the mud. McKeon sprang forward, but Back's great fingers closed on his neck. With his free hand, the Titan dragged Thecla upright. He held them both helpless while he kicked the sprawling Lay in the temple. In the split second before unconsciousness took him, Lay's eye met McKeon's, and they were terrible eyes. McKeon groaned, You young fool! Then Lay was down, and Back's fingers were throttling him. Which one? snarled the Titan. Give me the money, and I'll let you go. I'm going to have the money. If I have to kill you, then the girls won't laugh at me. Tell me, which one? McKean's blue eyes widened suddenly. With all his strength, he fought to croak out one word. Nahali. Back dropped them with a grunt, swinging his great hands, forgetting his gun completely. He stood at bay. There was a rush of bodies in the rain-blurred dusk, a flash of scarlet eyes and triangular mouths, laughing in queer, noseless faces. Then there were scaly, man-like things hurled like battering rams against the legionnaires. The hulking titan loomed in the midst of a swarm of red-eyed swamp rats, and McKeon saw abruptly that he had taken off his clumsy gloves, which he had made ready to strangle his mates. The great six-fingered hand stretched hungrily towards Nathali's throat. 
Back! yelled McGeehan. Don't! The titan's heavy laughter drowned him out. The vast paws closed in a joyous grip. On the instant, Back's great body bent and jerked convulsively. He slumped down. The heart burned out of him by the electricity circuited through his hands. Lay's gun spoke. There was a reek of ozone, and a Nahali screamed like a stricken reptile. The Venusian cried out in sudden pain and was silent. Mickeyan, struggling upright, saw him buried under a pile of scaly bodies. Then a clammy paw touched his own face. He moaned as a numbing shock struck through him and lapsed into semi-consciousness. This is Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB-FM, Santa Barbara, 91.9. I'm Hannah Wolf. We're taking a short break from the short story, The Stellar Legion, by Lee Brackett. Just wanted to back announce some songs. In the background of the story, we heard Rods and Cones by Leah Bertucci. Music in Circles by Y Music. And what we're listening to right now is Dissolution by Olivia Block.
Let's pick back up on the short story, The Stellar Legion by Lee Brackett. Where we last left our party, members of the Stellar Legion were trying to find the traitor. When the Commander Lay confronted the party, there was a squabble, and our hero, McGeehan, went unconscious. He had vague memories of being alternately carried and towed through warm lakes and across solid ground. He knew dimly that he was dumped roughly under a leha tree in a clearing where there were thatched huts and that he was alone. After what seemed a very long time, he sat up and his surroundings were clear. Even more clear was Thecla's thin, dark face peering amused down at him. McGeehan would have risen and struck him, only that he was weak and dizzy. And then he saw that Thecla had a gun. His own holster was empty. McGeehan got slowly to his feet, raking the white hair out of his eyes, and he said, "'You dirty little rat!' Thecla laughed, as a fox might laugh at a baffled hound. Go ahead and curse me, McGeehan, you high and mighty renegade. You were right. I'd rather swing on Mars than live another month in this damned sweat box. And I can laugh at you, Ian McGeehan. I'm going back to the deserts and wine shops on the Jekkara Low Canal. The Nahali girl didn't mean money. She meant plastic surgery to give me another face. I'm free, and you're going to die right here in the filthy mud. A slow, grim smile touched McGeehan's face, but he said nothing. Oh, I understand, said Thecla mockingly. You fallen swells in your honor. But you won't die honorably any more than you've lived that way. McGeehan's eyes were contemptuous and untroubled. The pointed teeth gleamed. You don't understand, McGeehan. Lay isn't going to die. He's going back to face the music after his post is wiped out. I don't know what they'll do to him, but it won't be nice. And remember, McGeehan, he thinks you sold him out. He thinks you cost him his post, his men, his career, his honor, you scut. Think that over when the swamp rats go to work on you. They like a little fun now and then. And remember, I'm laughing. McGeehan was silent for a long time. 
hands clenched at his sides, his craggy face carved in dark stone under his dripping white hair. Then he whispered, Why? Thecla's eyes met him in sudden, intense hate. Because I want to see your damn proud, supercilious nose rubbed in the dirt. Nikian nodded. His face was strange, as though a curtain had been drawn over it. Where's Lay? Thecla pointed to the nearest hut. But it won't do you any good. The rats gave him an overdose, accidentally of course, and he's out for a long time. Mackian went unsteadily towards the hut through the rain. Over his shoulder he heard Thecla's voice. Don't try anything funny, McGeehan. I can shoot you down before you're anywhere near an escape, even if you could find your way back without me. The Nahali are gathering now, all over the swamp. Within half an hour, they'll march on the fort, and then on to the plateaus. They'll send my escort before they go, but you and Lei will have to wait until they come back. You can think of me while you're waiting to die, McGeehan. Me! going to Lahiva and freedom. McKeon didn't answer. The rhythm of the rain changed from a slow drum to a rapid, vicious hiss. He could see it almost smoking in the broad leaves of the Leha trees. The drops cut his body like whips, and he realized for the first time he was stripped to trousers and shirt. Without his protective rubber coverall, Thecla could electrocute him far quicker than a Mnahali with his service pistol. The hut, which had been very close, was suddenly far off. So far, he could hardly see it. The muddy ground swooped and swayed underfoot. McKeon jerked himself savagely erect. Fever, any fool who prowled the swamp without proper covering was a sure victim. He looked back at Thecla, safe in a helmet and coverall, grinning like a weasel under the shelter of a pod-hung tree branch. The hut came back into proper perspective, aching, trembling, such with icy cold, he stooped and entered. Lay, lay there, dry but stripped like McIan, his young face slack in unconsciousness. McKeon raised a hand, let it fall limply back. Lay was still paralyzed from the shock. It might be hours, even days, before he came out of it, perhaps never, if he wasn't cared for properly. All I wanted was to die. That's what I came to the Legion for, to die like a soldier because I couldn't live like an officer. But it had to be honorably, Lay. Otherwise... He broke off into a fit of shivers, and his blue eyes glared under his white, tumbled hair. You robbed me of that, damn you. You and Thecla. You trapped me. You wouldn't even let me die decently. I was an officer, Lay, like you. Do you hear me, young fool? I had to choose between two courses, and I chose the wrong one. I lost my whole command. Twenty-five hundred men, dead. They might have let me off at the court-martial. It was an honest mistake, but I didn't wait. I resigned. All I wanted was to die like a good soldier. 
That's why I volunteered. And you tricked me, Lay. You and Thecla. Holding his throbbing head in his hands, he knew he was crying and couldn't stop. His skin burned, and he was cold to the marrow of his bones. Suddenly, he looked at Lay out of bright, fever-mad eyes. Very well, he whispered. I won't die. You can't kill me, you and Thecla. And you go on believing I betrayed you. I'll take you back, you two, and fight it out. I'll keep the Nahali from taking the fort, so you can't say I sold you out. I'll make you believe me. From somewhere far off, he heard Thecla laugh. McKeon huddled there for some time, his brain whirling through the rain beat and the fever mist in his head and the alternate burning and freezing that racked his body. Certain truths shot at him like stones from a sling. Thecla had a gun that shot a stream of electricity, a gun designed for Nahali, whose nervous systems were built to carry a certain load and no more, like any set of wires. The low-frequency discharge was strong enough to kill a normal man only under ideal conditions, and these conditions were uniquely ideal. Wet clothes, wet skin, wet ground, even the air saturated. Then there were metal and rubber, metal in his belt, in Lay's belt, metal mesh because the damp air rotted everything else rubber on his feet on Lay's feet rubber was insulation metal was a conductor McIan realized with part of his mind that he must be mad to do what he planned to do but he went to work just the same ten minutes later he left the hut and crossed the soaking clearing in the downpour Thecla had left the Liha tree for a hut directly opposite Lay's. He rose warily in the doorway, gun ready. His sly black eyes took in McKeon's wild blue gaze, the fever spots burning on his lean cheeks, and he smiled. Get on back to the hut, he said be a pity if you die before the Nahali have a chance to try electrotherapy. McKeon didn't pause. His right arm was hidden behind his back. Thecla's jaw tightened. Get back or I'll kill you. Thecla's pointed teeth gleamed in a sudden snarl. His thumbs snapped the trigger. A bolt of blue flame hissed towards the strident Scott. McKeon's right hand shot out in the instant the gun spoke. One of Lay's rubber boots cased his arm almost to the shoulder, and around the ankle of it a length of metal was made fast. Two mesh belts linked together. The spitting blue fire was gathered to the metal circle, shot down a couple of lengths, and died in the ground. The pistol sputtered out as a coil fused. Thecla cursed and flung at McGeehan's head. The Scot dodged it and broke into a run, dropping Lay's boot that his hands might be free to grapple. Thecla fought like a low canal rat, 
but McIan was bigger and beyond himself with the first madness of fever. He beat the little Martian down and bound him with his own belt and then went looking for his clothes and gun. He found them with Lays in the hut next door, his belt pouch yielding quinine. He gulped a large dose and felt better. After he had dressed, he went and wrestled Lay into his coveralls and helmet and dragged him out beside Thecla, who was groaning back to consciousness in the mud. Looking up, McKeon saw three Nahali men watching him wearily out of scarlet eyes as they slunk toward him. Thecla's escort, and it was a near thing, twice clammy paws seared his face before he sent them writhing down into the mud, jerking as the overload beat through their nervous systems. Triangular mouths gaped in noseless faces, hand-like paws tore convulsively at scaly breastplates, and McKeon, as he watched them die, said calmly, There will be hundreds of them storming the fort. My gun won't be enough, but somehow I've got to stop them. No answer now. He shrugged and kicked Thecla's erect. Back to the fort, scum, he ordered and laughed. The linked belts were fastened now around Thecla's neck, the other end hooked to the muzzle of McLean's gun so that the slightest rough pull would discharge it. What if I stumble? Thecla snarled, and McKeon answered, You better not! Lay was big and heavy, but somehow McKeon got him across his shoulders, and they started off. The fringe of the swamp was in sight when McKeon's brain became momentarily lucid. Another dose of quinine drove the mists back so that the fort, some fifty yards away, assumed its proper focus. McKeon dropped Lay on his back in the mud and stood looking, his hand ready on his gun. The village swarmed with swamp rats in the slow, watery dawn. They were ranged in a solid mass along the edges of the moat, and the fort guns were silent. McKeon wondered why until he saw that the dam that furnished power for the turbine had been broken. Thekwa laughed silently. My idea, McKeon, the Nahali would never have thought of it themselves. They can't drown, you know. I showed them how to sneak into the reservoir right under the fort's guns and stay under water, loosening the stones around the spillway. The pressure did the rest. Now there's no power for big guns, nor the conductor rods in the moat. With sudden viciousness, McGeehan threw the end of the linked belt over a low Leha branch so that Thecla had to stand on tiptoe to keep from strangling. Then, staring blindly at the beleaguered fort, he tried to beat sense out of his throbbing head. There was something, he whispered, something I was saying. 
Back in the swamp, something my mind was trying to tell me. Only I was delirious. What was it, Thecla? What was it? Thecla choked and struggled as the metal halter tightened. Nothing, you fool. Nothing but Nahali and Leha trees. Leha trees. McGeehan's fever-bright eyes went to the great green pollen pods hung among the broad leaves. He shivered, partly with chill, partly with exaltation, and he began like a madman to strip Lay and Thecla of their rubber coveralls. Lay's, because it was larger, he tented over two low branches. Thecla's, he spread on the ground beneath. Then he tore down pod after pod from the Leha tree, breaking open the shells under the shelter of the improvised tent, pouring out the green powder on the ground cloth. When he had a two-foot pile, he stood back and fired a bolt of electricity into the heart of it. Thick, oily black smoke poured up, slowly at first, then faster and faster as the fire took hold. A sluggish breeze was blowing out of the swamp, drawn by the cooler uplands beyond the fort. It took the smoke and sent it rolling towards the packed and struggling mass on the earthworks. Out on the battlefield, Nahali stiffened suddenly, fell, tearing convulsively at their bodies. The beating rain washed the soot down onto them harder and harder, streaking it away, left a dull film over the reptilian skins, the scaly breastplates. More and more of them fell as the smoke rolled thicker, fed by the blackened madman under the Lehigh tree, until only legionnaires were left standing in its path, staring dumbly at the stricken swamp rats. The squirming bodies stilled in death, hundreds more out on the edges of the smoke, seeing their comrades die, fled back into the swamp. The earthworks were cleared. Ian McGeehan gave one wild shout that carried clear to the fort. Then he collapsed, crouched, shivering beside the unconscious lay, babbling incoherently. Thecla, strained on tiptoe under the tree branch, had stopped smiling. The fever mists rolled away at last. McGeehan woke to see Lay's pink young face, rather less pink than usual, bending over him. Lay sat down on the bed. What did you do to the swamp rats? he demanded eagerly. They all have a coating as though they've been dipped in paraffin. McGeehan chuckled. In a way, they were. You know how they breathe, each skin cell forming a miniature electrolysis plant to extract oxygen from water? Well, it extracts hydrogen too, naturally, and the hydrogen is continually being given off, just as we give off carbon dioxide. Black smoke means soot, soot means carbon. Carbon plus hydrogen forms various waxy hydrocarbons. Wax is impervious to both water and air, 
So when the oily soot from the smoke united with the hydrogen excluded from the Nahali's bodies, it sealed away the life-giving water from the skin cells. They literally smothered to death like an earthly ant doused with powder. Lay nodded. He was quiet for a long time, his eyes on the sick bay's well-scrubbed floor. At length, he said, My offer still goes, McGeehan. Officers' examinations. One mistake, an honest one, shouldn't rob you of your life. You don't even know that it would have made any difference if your decision had been the other way. Perhaps there was no way out. McKeon's white head nodded on the pillow. Perhaps I will, eh? Something Thecla said set me thinking. He said he'd rather die on Mars than live another month in exile. I'm in exile too, eh? In a different way. Yes, I think I'll try it. And if I fail again, he shrugged and smiled. There are always Nahali. It seemed for a minute after that as though he had gone to sleep. Then he murmured so low that Lay had to bend down to hear him. Thecla will hang after the court-martial. Can you see that they take him back to Mars first? Books and Blondes with Ray Guns, a show highlighting science fiction by female authors on KCSB FM, Santa Barbara 91.9. I'm Hannah Wolf. That was The Stellar Legion by Lee Brackett. In the background, we are listening to Cantus in Memory of Warren Wiltsey by Stars of the Lid. Uh, I thought I would talk a little about Lee Brackett's experience in the field and her legacy. So, Lee Brackett never disguised her gender, though her name was ambiguous. A quote from Marion Zimmer Bradley, who described herself as a close and fr- a close friend, said that Lee never made any secret of her sex. Everyone in the science in science fiction knew her gender by 1946, and when she came into the field as a fa- which was when she came into the field as a fan. Lee, when she first joined the Los Angeles fan group, she became close friends with Ray Bradbury, and and to quote, she said, she spent many a Sunday at the beach going over each other's manuscripts, talking, writing, and science fiction, a couple of thirsty castaways in a cultural desert. She also... Um, spent time with other more uh, well-known authors at the time, like Heinlein. Another quote. Heinlein was urbane, courteous, a great raconteur, 
I had the pleasure of attending a few of the evenings on Lookout Mountain, which was his uh, his home, which were immensely stimulating. Willie Lay was quite charming. Jack Willemson was tall and shy, and Jimmy Stewartish. Ed Hamilton was breezy and articulate, both of them great to talk to. Ed and I both came to love Doc Smith. There never was a finer man. And when the editor, John W. Campbell, who officially discovered Brackett, published Martin, Martian Quest, he knew that he was publishing a woman. And when enthusiastic letters of praise of the new author followed, Campbell responded to some of them in the next volume correcting the misgendered uh, he instead of she of Lee and it was made pretty obvious through future publications that Lee was a woman she also uh, kind of changed the way that women were portrayed in science fiction compared to some of the male authors while she did write a lot of male protagonist gadget-driven space operas, similar to kind of what I just read, which reflected the same sexist female images portrayed in most male-authored um, fiction, it's also been argued that she wrote a number of fine stories focusing on mysterious and powerful female aliens. Also, she herself described her her short stories and the women in her short stories as uh, my women are usually on the uh, female dog side, warm-blooded, hot-tempered, but gutty and intelligent. So that has been our show for today uh this is kcsb fm in santa barbara i am hannah wolf and this has been books and blondes with ray guns a show highlighting science fiction by female authors next week we will be hearing from another author so come back at 8 at 7 p.m. next week thank you